How's everyone doing? Doing well. Good to be in the house of the Lord. I'm excited uh, to worship with you guys this morning. Uh, If this is your first time joining us, my name is Pastor Alberto, and I have the honor and privilege to lead this church alongside our team of elders, which include co-elder Dr. Thaddeus Evan Brown and uh, Chief Elder Jesus as he leads and shepherds this church. And so, so thankful uh, for you guys joining us. If this is your first time in your seat back, you'll see a QR code. If you fill out a connection card, uh, we have a gift for you in the back uh, after service that includes a $5 gift card to one of my favorite coffee shops, Summer Moon. And so uh, that may be my way of enticing you to get coffee with me because that would be a lot of fun. Or you can get coffee by yourself and enjoy uh, the delicious coffee there. But fill that out and we have that for you after service. Uh, if you're joining us online, I want to welcome you. Uh, thank you so much for worshiping with us this morning. Uh, I want to give a few shout outs to our online family. We have the Banks family joining us online. Uh, they just gave birth to their newborn daughter, Birdie Banks, which is so exciting. So shout out to you guys. Shout out to the Barber family. And if you're online, let us know where you're watching in the chat. So uh, let's get into it. If this is your first time, we gather to worship. This Sunday morning is not a religious activity that we check off our calendar. Rather, we gather to worship God. And worship isn't just song. Rather, we worship God in community as we gather to be with one another. We worship in prayer as we connect to the heart of God. And we worship in the word of God as we look at the word that was given to us for our transformation. And so every single part of this moment, this morning, is worship unto God. And something amazing happens when we worship God. God begins to transform us. God begins to change us. Uh, The very activity of worship is to take our eyes off of ourselves and to set our attention, to set our focus on the God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. And the scripture says that as we begin to look at that God, as we begin to enjoy that God and worship that God, we begin to look more and more like him. We begin to embody more and more of his life. And so his peace and his presence and his love and his grace begins to get inside of our hearts and transform us from the inside out. And so when we gather to worship, we gather to be transformed by the living God. And that's my prayer this morning. That as we look into the word this morning, you will experience transformation. Your life will never be the same. Because when we encounter the living God, we never leave his presence the same. And so we're going to come and uh, experience God in the word. This morning we are in Ephesians chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 11 through 16. So if you have your Bible, uh, I invite you to open to Ephesians chapter 2. If you have your phone, Ephesians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible app, you may look up the scripture or look at the screen. But I want you to look at the text with me. So will you please stand with me, and we stand to honor the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11 through 16. It says this, therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at one time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Verse 13, one of my favorite verses. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing 
the hostility. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated as we pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that as we look into this word and see the gift that you've given us in the scriptures, I pray that our hearts would begin to be transformed. I pray that the anxieties that we carry in our heart would be melted away by your presence. I pray that the fear and doubt that consumes us would be um, overshadowed by your great, wonderful love. And Lord, I pray that you would just give us focus for this morning and give us daily grace to see you. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm really excited about this text. I really love it. I told my wife down here, I'm like, I'm about to preach this text because I love it so much. And uh, it's so good. And, and so I'm really excited to dive into this word. And so I have two points, two simple points that will really help sort of structure this text. Uh, uh, point number one is Jews versus Gentiles. And point number two is us versus them. And this will help sort of break down and structure our text this morning. Jews versus Gentiles, us versus them. So let's go verse by verse. Verse 11 says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Verse 12, remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. So we're going to tackle some brief historical background before we unpack the rest of the text that will really help us understand what's happening here and how it applies to our day and age. So in this historical context, Jews and Gentiles were common enemies. Uh, These two cultures completely opposed one another. The Jewish people uh, were considered the the people of God. They were given the Old Testament. They were given the law. They were given the promises. And God had made this sort of covenant with them saying, uh, through this people group, I'm going to bless the entire world. I'm going to reveal my love. I'm going to reveal my character. I'm going to reveal my nature through this people group to the rest of the world. And so the people of God, this Jewish tribe, were supposed to be a reflection of what life with God would look like. They were supposed to embody God's character, God's love, God's truth in such a way that when the outside world looks in on them, they would say, whoa, that is a way better way to live. Uh, Let's follow the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But that was short-lived. In fact, what we see in the Old Testament is that when we look at this people group who had uh, claimed the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, their lifestyle was completely opposed to the life that God had called them to live. Instead of giving themselves over to the worship of God and living in union and love with him, they would give themselves over to the idols and the ways of the land. And it seems like this isn't a big deal. But what we see happen time and time again is that people suffered. Families were broken. Babies were being killed. Homes were being ripped apart when they would give themselves over to their own desires or to the gods of the land. And this broke the heart of God. And what ended up happening is that this Jewish group began to form this sort of elitism, this sort of cultural superiority. They said, our God is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Therefore, we're better than all the other people groups in the land. And so anyone who wasn't considered Jewish were called Gentiles. And Gentiles was just this really broad label uh, to categorize groups of people that weren't Jewish. And so the Jews and the Gentiles radically opposed each other. Uh, They were 
enemies so much so that hostility between them was a very normal thing. And when Paul is saying, hey, uh, you Gentiles in the flesh, you were called the uncircumcision. Well, circumcision was sort of this covenant symbol that was given by God to sort of separate the Jewish community. And really, these are fighting words. Uh, when, when, when you were called the uncircumcision, th- that was a derogatory term. These were really disrespectful terms that really elevated the type of hostility that they had towards one another. And so we have these Jews and these Gentiles, and God from the very beginning never intended to create two separate groups of people. Rather, he intended to create one family, one humanity that would embody his love, his character, and his grace, that would reveal different aspects of God's uh, character as we see it revealed in different cultures. And yet, when sin comes into the picture... Sin not only mars the image of God, it creates division within God's family. And so instead of having one unified family, now we have Jews who think they're better than the rest of the day and age cultures. And then we have the Gentiles who are on the outside of the promises that God had given. And God, what he does and what this series is all about from death to life is that he comes into our story and he reconciles us to himself. That there's this big barrier, this mountain of sin that stands between us and God. And this mountain is immovable. It cannot be scaled. And as Charles Spurgeon says, one drop of Jesus' precious blood melts away this mountain. And now Jesus crosses over this great chasm of sin and brings us into relationship with him. So that now we're reconciled with God, but he doesn't stop there. He's, the whole plan from the beginning was to reconcile us to one another. God just doesn't want our relationship with him to be restored. He wants our relationship with one another to be restored. So we can live as the family that he intended to create from the beginning. God has reconciled us to himself, but he doesn't stop there. He's connecting us to one another. Yet there still remains one barrier, one obstacle, one wall that must come down if we're going to enjoy life with one another. And Paul calls this barrier... The wall of hostility. Let's look at verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in the flesh the dividing wall of hostility. So what is the dividing wall of hostility? Well, this was an actual physical wall in Jerusalem. In the capital of the Hebrew land, uh, there was this great temple that stood in the middle of the city, and this was the place of worship, where Jewish pilgrims from all over the known world would come and offer sacrifices to God and worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so it was a beautiful temple, a beautiful structure. And on the outside of the structure, there was what was called the, uh, the low wall, the dividing wall, the, the size of a picket fence that stood on the outside of the premises that separated the Gentiles from the Jews. So the Gentile people, non-Jewish people, were not allowed to go past this dividing wall. And so in the Jerusalem temple, this Hebrew place of worship, all the Jewish worshipers could go into the temple, could go worship God freely. But if you were a Gentile, you were not allowed to cross this wall. This wall served as a barrier. It created an enclosure around a temple, if, if you can imagine a fence. 
And they were not allowed to go past that barrier. They were only allowed to congregate in the outer courtyard. And on this wall, there would be warning signs uh, written in several different languages, like no trespassing signs that would warn non-Jewish people not to enter, not to go past this wall, or you could risk being put to death. And this was the type of hostility that these two people groups experienced towards one another. In fact, there have been recent archaeological discoveries in the 1800s where they've uncovered some of these no trespassing signs. And one of them is in the Istanbul Archaeology Museum. We can put the photo up. And uh, in Koine Greek, this is what it says. Here's a translation. No stranger is to enter within the balustrade around the temple and enclosure. Whoever is caught will be himself responsible for his ensuing death. This was a real thing where there would be all sorts of no trespassing signs. And if you were to cross this wall, cross this barrier, you could be risking your own life. This was a physical wall of hostility. And Paul, the Apostle Paul, the author of this text that we're reading, the New Testament church leader and church planter, had an encounter with this wall three years prior. We read about it in the book of Acts. He's on his way to Jerusalem to minister to the early church, to run into James and, 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 and do ministry in this city. And we read about his encounter in the temple in Acts 21. This is what it says. When seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred the whole crowd and laid hands on him. Now, this isn't like a religious, let's lay hands on you, brother, and pray for you. These were fighting hands. These were like, let's grab Paul and do violence type of laying hands. And crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who is teaching everyone, everywhere, against the people and the law and this place, the temple. Moreover, he even brought Greeks into the temple. Gentiles into the temple and has defiled the holy place. Verse 29, for they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed Paul brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up and the people ran together. They seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple. At once the gates were shut, and as they were seeking to kill him, because he had broken the law, Word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. Verse 32, he at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Beating him with the intent to kill him. Verse 34, Verse 33, then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed crying out, away with him. In other words, put him to death. This is not an idea of hostility. It was a practice of hostility. It was a practice of violence and rage towards a different people group who one thought were superior to the other because they thought they were the people of God, but they didn't live like the people of God. My question is, how does this happen? How does this violence How does this hostility take root in one's heart and begin to grow into this sort of practice? 
Well, the scriptures make it very clear that there is a spiritual wall and that this problem begins in the heart. And the walls we build with our hands come from a blueprint that is in our heart. The walls of separation and division that we build out there first come from in here. And when we look at verse 12, it helps answer this question. Remember that at one time you were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. In other words, separation from God will lead to separation with his image bearers, people created in the image of God. And instead of filling this gap, This separation, instead of filling this gap with love and peace and reconciliation, when we're apart from Jesus, we'll fill it with violence. We'll fill it with hate. We'll fill it with selfish pursuits of power, with destruction and suffering. And this physical wall of hostility was created from an inward hostility, a problem of sin. And when sin comes into the story of our lives, we not only experience separation from God, we experience a second separation, a separation from one another. And the extreme evidence of this separation is hostility, hate, violent hostility towards someone or something else that isn't meeting your preferences or ideas. And so apart from Jesus, there exists this enmity between man and God and this enmity between Jews and Gentiles. Now you may be wondering, well, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with the life that I live? I'm not Jewish to my knowledge. Everybody in this room, if you're not Jewish, might be Gentile. What do we do with this? Where do we go from here? This brings us to our second point, us versus them. You may be thinking, I'm not Jewish and I don't harbor hate toward the Gentile. Maybe you haven't built a physical wall to keep people out like that. And and maybe uh, you don't find yourself practicing this type of hostility. But, But here's what this wall of hostility looks like today. At one point or another, we all have constructed barriers or have been on the other side of a barrier. Barriers of race. Barriers of skin color, barriers of class. It wasn't long ago when there was no trespassing signs on buses and restaurants in society where black people were not allowed to enter into certain parts of society or they, like Paul, would experience the same type of persecution and suffering. And we still feel the effects of those walls of hostility today. And Jesus has died to tear down these walls and some are still being raised up. And if it's not a barrier of skin color or race, it can be one of class. And we choose to separate ourselves from the least of these, the poor. And it's just not a monetary class system. We separate from people who make us uncomfortable and create a category for ourselves for the type of people that we want to be around. And we say things like, I don't want to be around that person because they're strange. I don't want to be around that person because they're weird. I don't want to be around that person because they overwhelm me. I don't want to be around that person because they uh, make me feel low. I don't want to be around that person because I know how they think politically. I don't want to be around that person because I know how they feel spiritually. If it's not an obvious barrier of race, skin color, or class, then it's what I call subtle boundaries. 
And we set boundaries for our emotions, boundaries for our physical space, boundaries for our needs, boundaries for our relationships, boundaries for our family and friends. And we create these small walls so we can preserve for ourselves a life that we think will ultimately satisfy us. And hear me, I want to be very clear about this. Boundaries are not bad. Boundaries are not bad. But if a boundary is not rooted in a biblical conviction, then it is not a boundary. If a boundary is not rooted in a biblical conviction, it is not a boundary. It is a wall. And this wall will become a dividing wall, a wall that will restrict the flow of true life that God wants to bring into your life. And what's on the other side of this wall that God wants to bring is, uh, God wants to bring ultimate satisfaction and fulfillment and comfort and security in him that no boundary you lay will ultimately be able to protect you from or give you. And this is on the other side of being uncomfortable, inconvenienced, temporarily afflicted. At one point or another, we have all constructed barriers or have been on the other side of a barrier. And here's the good news of the kingdom of God. The good news of the kingdom of God is that God comes to us who are far off to bring us near by tearing down the wall brick by brick by brick that keeps us from experiencing life with him and helping create a life of flourishing for others. He tears down the brick of addiction. He tears down the brick of shame, the brick of insecurity, the brick of doubt, the brick of partiality, favoritism, and hostility. The gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God is that Jesus has destroyed this wall and has broken it down, symbolically and physically. In a spiritual and physical sense, remember the context. The dividing wall was in the temple to keep the Gentiles out. You're not allowed to come in. Now that wall has been torn down and they can come into the temple. They can come into the family of God. Regardless of ethnicity, color, class, influence, wealth, status, power. All who place faith in Jesus can come into the family of God. God's vision from the beginning was not to build a wall to keep people out, but to tear down every single wall that we would erect so that all could come and experience life in him. And how is this possible? Verse 13 through 16. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Jesus is the only thing in the universe that can wash out the stain of sin that all of us carry. And the blood of Jesus is the only thing that can melt away brick by brick by brick the walls of hostility that we build in our hearts. And the blood of Jesus not only removes every single barrier that keeps us from life, now it is the bridge by which we can connect to the heart of God and experience relationship with him. Behold the Lamb of God who was slain for our sins. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing 
the hostility. When Jesus died on the cross, the power and sin, the power of sin and hostility that comes with it died there too. When Jesus died on the cross, so did the power of sin. And when Jesus rose from the dead, what was once broken, broken relationships with God, broken relationships with one another, broken relationships with our parents, with our spouses, with our loved ones, can now be made whole, can now experience peace, can slowly begin to experience the renewal that Christ has made available for us. So what do we do with this? And where do we go from here? I have one takeaway. One application point. Don't resurrect what Jesus has already killed. Don't resurrect what Jesus has already killed. Jesus has killed hostility. Don't resurrect it. Jesus has killed the enemy of sin that creates division, that creates separation, and robs us from entering life with God and one another. Don't partner with that enemy. The gospel frees us to submit our lives to Jesus. The gospel frees us. The good news that Jesus has lived for you, died for you, rose from the dead means that you can rise to from your brokenness, from your sin, and enter into a life-giving relationship with God where you're not defined by what the world says about you, where you're not defined by your accomplishments, your beauty, your worth, where you're not defined by your success, but you're identified and defined by a father who loves you. The gospel frees us to enter into a relationship with this God. The gospel frees us to submit our lives to him and know that he's a good father. And when we place our lives in his hand, he knows what's best for us and will care for us in such a way that will be for our maximum good and flourishment and his eternal glory. The gospel makes us peacemakers, not peace killers. When the gospel comes into our hearts, when the good news of Jesus takes root in our hearts, it creates peace. It promotes goodness. It promotes a life of love and good works. It doesn't create further hostility and division. When Jesus shed his blood on the cross for us, what what happens is that he breaks down every single barrier of status Every single barrier of religion, every single barrier of gender, nationalism, class, and ethnicity, man, women, all can come into the kingdom of God. Rich, poor, all are welcome. Black, white, all are welcome. Now there is no barrier that keeps one from experiencing life with God. And this is one of the things that makes discipleship to Jesus so unique and so beautiful, so countercultural and so radical. There's nothing like this in the world. Jesus extends this invitation to be his follower, to be his disciple, and not to a select few, but to everyone. He doesn't extend this invitation to just men. He doesn't extend this invitation to just Jews. He doesn't extend this invitation to just the rich and the powerful. This invitation is extended to everyone. That all who place their faith in Jesus can follow him and be welcomed into the kingdom of God and experience life with him forever. Jesus comes and breaks down these barriers and calls to himself those who in the eyes of the religious elite did not consider worthy or even have the necessary qualification for fellowship with him. Qualification doesn't matter. 
self-importance doesn't matter. Having all the right answers and everything figured out doesn't matter. The only thing that matters is when Jesus calls you, will you say yes? Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were far off have been brought near. Uh, I want to really show you how near we've been brought. Uh, The scriptures call this union with Christ, that I am in Christ and Christ is in me, and that we have this union, this sort of tight-knit proximity, a face-to-face relationship with God. We have been brought into the temple. The dividing wall has been torn down. We can go past the wall and into the temple, and the temple represented the place where God's presence was hosted, the place where you could experience the presence of God. And now we can go past the wall into the temple and experience the presence of God. But hear me, Jesus didn't die to solely tear down the dividing wall and let us into the temple to experience his presence. Jesus died to make us a temple and get his presence inside of us. Jesus didn't die so the wall could come down and all could come into the family. Jesus has died so that our, our sins could be cleansed by his blood and his presence, his life, his resurrection power could reside in our hearts and we could know forever that I am in him, he is in me, I have a relationship with God and nothing, no sin can separate me from him. He died to make us a temple and get his presence inside of us so that we can bring this union with him, so that we can carry God's presence everywhere we go and carry the same power that rose Jesus from the dead into the most broken parts of our homes, into the most broken parts of our cities, into the most broken areas of our classroom, in our relationships, and see God begin to make all things new. Let's close in prayer before we transition to communion. Behold the lamb that was slain for our sin. Lord, we praise you for living for us, dying for us, and rising from the dead for us so that we could experience life with you, so that we could move from death to life, so that we could experience reconciliation with you and enter into a life of reconciliation with one another. Lord, I praise you for killing the beast that we could not kill on our own, for killing the enemy of sin, for killing the wall of hostility, so that now no barrier uh, stands or remains that keeps us from you. And us who were far off can encounter your nearness, can encounter your grace, can encounter your mercy in the person of Christ. Lord, I praise you that this is ours when we place our faith in Christ Jesus. I thank you that this gift is not on the other side of earning it or working for it. It's on the other side of receiving it by faith and letting your presence begin to work from the inside out as you do the heavy lifting and carry the burden of making us more like you. 
Maybe you're in this room and, 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 and you know that, that there is no relationship with God. Uh, maybe uh, you're not walking in union with him and maybe you've been living for yourself and, and making your life's pursuits your own desires instead of his desires. And, and you feel like this verse says separated, alienated. Instead of experiencing life, you're experiencing death. There is good news for you. Jesus has come and he wants to give you life. And if you want to experience this life, it is to be received by faith. And I want to stand with you in solidarity as you have this moment with Jesus. And if you want to receive this gift of life and relationship with him, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? I praise you that you have created us to be receivers and not achievers. That you have created us to be recipients of your grace, not ones who have to work to earn it. And Lord, I pray that in this moment, your precious children, I pray that you would open up their hearts to receive an overflow of your grace and mercy and love. Lord, I thank you for uh, the gift of faith that you've given them to cross over into life with you. I pray that you would fill, fill them, Lord, with your power and presence and seal this moment as they enter into life with you forever. Maybe you're in this room and you find yourself building up walls that Jesus has died to clearly tear down. There could be good reasons for it. Your heart could be in the right place, but ultimately it's not the wall, it's not the boundary that's gonna bring you life. It's Jesus coming to bring healing and renewal and restoration to your heart. And if you feel like you're in this place and, and you've just built up barriers and, and, and walls for whatever specific thing and, and you want the Lord to come bring healing and you want the Lord to come tear it down, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? Lord, I thank you that you have come to kill hostility. Help us to be a people that partners with your peace and presence and not ones that partner with the enemy to build walls, but help us to tear them down. Lord, I pray that you would help us, keep us from resurrecting the thing that you have already killed, hostility and division. Help us, Lord, to become peacemakers. Help us, Lord, to embody your grace and your presence to the world around us in such a way that invites people to see you and experience all that you are. Thank you, Lord, for this gift. Thank you for your blood that was shed that has brought us near. Holy Spirit, help us to experience more and more of your nearness. In Jesus' name.